Um, and before I begin, I just want to also say personally a big thanks to all the different uh, coordinators here. Um, those that, uh, that responded to a vision, I think, that was God's vision. Um, so he gets the glory for that. But they uh, wanted to uh, also be involved in giving God glory through all the details. I've received about 14 phone calls from Rachel Mills. Making, I mean, Mills Nelson. I mean, she used to be a Mills, uh, but that was over the hill. So, um, and uh, so, so you know, everything has just, uh, in my estimation, gone very well. And thank you to Weimar, the staff here. Uh, how about the food yesterday? I mean, that alone should bring you back to Weimar, right? Um, so uh, was it, it's been a blessing to be here. All right. Well, let's just, again, ask the Lord to uh, be with us today before we talk about this important grace. Father in heaven, today we're thankful that we can again approach your throne. And as we spend a few moments more in your word, we recognize that we're not able to Go in or go out. Come in or go out, as Solomon says. Without your wisdom. You say, if any man lacks wisdom, if they'd ask, and you would uh, give and reproach not. And so I ask for wisdom today that transcends anything I've thought about and meets the need of people here and uh, those that may be listening in a wider audience. And I thank you, and I come in Christ's name. Amen. Brotherly kindness. Brotherly kindness. Proverbs 19.22 says that uh, the thing that people want most from people, from man, is kindness. <laughs> and, you know, you, you can kind of get fuzzy about what love is, but everybody kind of knows what kindness is. And uh, they, they can tell when you're being kind or unkind, then uh, and they used to will call you on it either with a look or or something else. Um, and especially young people can 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 look through and see whether or not someone's really kind or not. They think they might be kind to the kind of person they don't need, right? He's a kind guy, the kind we don't need. Or he can be kind, truly kind, and uh, or she. So when we look at this grace in First Peter, we notice it's in a chain that comes before um, love. And uh, why is that? Well, I, I might answer that later. If, if I don't, remind me and I will. Let's just remind ourselves of, of the text again here. For this reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, virtue, knowledge, knowledge, self-control, to self-control, perseverance, to persevere, godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness. Now, we as a movement have been admonished that what we need is a revival of true godliness. This is our greatest need. Now, false godliness doesn't have kindness. 
True godliness does. As Ellen White pictured that remnant church, in early writings, page 54, she pictured them as uh, one of two groups that were in front of the altar of incense. And uh, there they were praying and they were receiving much light and power. And then one group went by faith into the most holy place with Jesus in 1844. And that other group stayed out there by the altar of incense. And the group that went in, they had light and power, but also much love, joy, and peace. Amen? So if we're going to have love, joy, peace, kindness, we have to have a most holy place experience. And that's what God's calling for, a revival of true godliness. He doesn't want outside the camp godliness or kindness. He doesn't want courtyard kindness. He doesn't want holy place kindness. He wants most holy place kindness. Are you awake this morning? All right. (laughs) I kind of... I'm a dialogue, dialogical preacher. If I don't hear you, I start doing CPR, <laughs> kind of see where you are. So uh, if I don't hear from you, I might come down and uh, do mouth-to-ear resuscitation on you. <clears throat> so kindliness comes from who? Well, let's look together. Just a little Bible study this morning. Nehemiah 9 17. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth. First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah. You know, sometimes I actually have to say that to remember where it is. So uh, maybe that helped you too, though. Here, speaking uh, in the context of the hardened hearts of those who didn't obey God. In the middle of the text, it says, But you, God, even in spite of what they've done, are ready to pardon, gracious, merciful, slow to anger, abundant in kindness, and did not forsake them. So kindness, as we look at it, comes from who? From God, and he's abundant in kindness. Isaiah chapter 54, verse 8. Let's look at another text. Isaiah chapter 54 and verse 8. With a little wrath, I hid my face from you for a moment. Isaiah 54 verse 8. But with everlasting kindness, I will have mercy on you, says the Lord your Redeemer. So not only is is kindness abundant, it's not a momentary effusion uh, or explosion of kindness. It is an everlasting kindness. How many of you... Uh, must confess that yours is kind of like just a momentary effusion, it seems. How many of you need some everlasting kindness? Uh, You know, the inconsistency of kindness is somewhat damaging to people. You You were kind today, but now you're a different kind tomorrow. You had the character of Christ yesterday, but now you're a character today. So there's these problems, you know, and this inconsistency. So what we need from God is not only the abundance, but a a ripening up. Ellen White talks about when you get older, you're supposed to ripen up. I want to be a young fogey. You know what a fogey is? Like, ever heard the expression, an old fogey? It's like an old person that's supposedly 
I don't know what fogey means, but anyway, they said it when I was growing up. Uh, the point is this. When we get older, we're supposed to have those Christian graces and they don't go away. And Peter is writing here and he's an old man. He's to the point where John says he's almost to the point where he can't go out or go in and people have to carry him around. And as he's ripening up, he's saying, look, there's something you need and it's kindness. Don't cut people's ear off like I used to, he's saying. Don't come to Jesus and say, is it now time to call down fire on those people? <laughs> Jesus said, you don't really know what kind of spirit you are. When you're converted, please <laughs> strengthen the brethren. Don't blow them up. <laughs> so Peter was growing in this. And, you know, the Christian graces don't come in just a moment, Ellen White tells us. They, they, they are developed over a lifetime. But let me hasten to add, how long do you know that you're going to live? Now, long enough to develop the Christian graces. God will not end your life until you've had a chance to have kindness. But don't be presumptive and say, oh, yeah, I'll be as old as Peter. Someone's going to be carrying me around, and then I'll be kind. And it doesn't usually work that way. If you're mean, have you ever worked in a nursing home? You really start to see what people are like? Yeah. You know, let's be, let's be, let's be kind about it. But I've taken care of some old ministers, old Seventh-day Adventist ministers. I was in a, in a unit that was basically all Seventh-day Adventist ministers. It terrifies me even yet to think about it because I'm thinking, Lord, I don't want to have my children hear me say that kind of stuff. And... Uh, some of us thinks we're going to become saints uh, uh, when we're older because we're too old to do anything wrong. No, God wants us to be holy now. So God's love is abundant. It's everlasting. Ruth chapter 2, verse 20. I, I, I won't look it up with you, but put it in your notes. Luke chapter 2, verse 20. I mean, Ruth chapter 2, verse 20. She said, you, you don't even forsake People when they're dead. You're kind when they're alive, and you're kind when they're dead. And speaking of her deceased husband and how God still was honoring his name and taking care of her. The God who's kind when you're alive and the God who's kind when you're dead. So true kindness comes from God. Now, our text, though, says it's talking about brotherly kindness. Brotherly kindness is different than kindness because there's the word brotherly added. And brotherly is a wonderful, wonderful word because, well, let's do a little Bible study together. Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2 tells us, verse 11, He who sanctifies and those who are sanctified are all of one, for which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren. You see the picture here. This is speaking of who? Jesus, and he's not ashamed to call us who? And so the, the, the truest brother in the Bible is Jesus, our elder brother. Can you say amen to that? So all of these texts, it's brotherly kindness. He, he's not ashamed to call us brethren, verse 14, insomuch as children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him 
who had the power of death, that is, the devil, and released those who who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Did you notice it? He partakes of the same flesh and blood and the same fears. Verse 16, he does not give aid just to angels, but he does give aid to the seed of Abraham. In other words, he identifies with us genetically. The seed of Abraham. He enters into the human genome project, which is a real project. And therefore, in all things, he had to be made like his... Hello? When I pause, that means I'm seeing if you're reading. All things like his... That he might be merciful and a faithful high priest in the things pertaining to God. So here he is made like his brethren and... The wonders of the incarnation are all found in that word brotherly. So when Peter is saying brotherly kindness, it goes all the way back to the time when Jesus was just a dot on a piece of paper. That's how big a, an ovum is. And he entered in as just uh, two cells to humanity. Think about that. Two cells. And then a marula, and then a, what is it next, a blastocyst or whatever, I don't know what they call them, I can't remember, and a fetus and an embryo and a, well, I guess a zygote. You guys tell me, you guys are in school, that's been a long time. I know I went through all those stages. (laughs) Twice, because you must be born again. And he identified with humanity. He's our brother from cell number two all the way up. Amen? So when it says brotherly, what do you, I mean, we could talk about that all day, but Rachel has a time clock, so we won't. Matthew chapter 28, look at this. Matthew chapter 28. He's our brother from the beginning, but notice something. Let's read it and let me see if you notice it as you're reading it. Look in the text. If you're looking at me glassy-eyed, this is the time not to do that anymore for multiple reasons. Number one, look at me. Number two, look at your Bible. Matthew 28, look. Verse 9. And when he went to tell the disciples, this is at the empty tomb, verse 1. And as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them, saying, Rejoice! And they came and they held him by the feet and they worshipped him. Now, if you're worshiping someone, that means they're they're God. But notice, they worship Him as God. He doesn't say, don't do that, but then notice the next text. And Jesus said to them, yes, you should be worshiping Me as God. I came down among you sniveling people, and now I'm God again. Don't you forget it. Is that what He says? No, look at what He says. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brethren to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Think of the kindness of God in that statement. Think of the identity, the brotherly identification. And when is this? After his resurrection. And so he is still our brother. Can you say hallelujah? Is that kind? Oh, that's the ultimate kindness. I wrote this out this morning from LHU. I don't know what that sound. What's that stand for? 
Yeah, lift him up. Thank you. He gave his only begotten son to come to earth to take the nature of man, not only for the brief years of life, but to return this nature or retain, rather, his nature in the heavenly courts, an everlasting pledge of the faithfulness of God in the depths of the riches both of the wisdom and love of God. Woo! How many of you catch the insight of that? Brotherly kindness, then, is an expression of the faithfulness of God, <laughs> isn't it? And his faithfulness is so great to us. He's so faithful that he's going to be our brother forever. And when we see the nail prints in his hands, we'll say, that's my brother. And he'll say, you're my brother too. Is that good? That's, that's better than good. So lift him up, page 320, paragraph 3. You might want to put in your notes, Desire of Ages, page 25 as well. But I'm going to hasten on. So Jesus, beginning out, he was kind. And, and he still is kind. And all throughout, he was kind. You know, how many of you like sandwiches? <laughs> That's cruel to say that just before lunch. But Jesus is like, a, he, he, it's, it's like the sweetest sandwich, not sickeningly sweet, but a sweet sandwich. It's like when, when, when I was growing up, my mom would give us peanut butter and jelly sandwiches sometimes. And if we were real good, she'd put honey on top. That's how Jesus is. It's peanut butter and jelly plus honey. Can you say amen? I mean, this guy is the ultimate kindness, and through life he was kind. Peter knew he was kind. They went to Peter's house one day, and his mother-in-law was sick with a fever, and he healed her. He was kind to Samaritans who normally were seen as the scum of the earth. They were called common and unclean. He was kind to women who were usually not looked at favorably, especially Samaritan women. And it says that he met that woman at the well, and it says that he needed to go to meet her there in John chapter 4. He needed to go that way. And when you look at the map and you study that closely, he didn't need to go anywhere near there, but it was just because of his kindness that he went there. Kindness is going out of the way. It's living for others and not yourself. He was kind to children. He met a mother who lost her only son and raised that son from the dead. He was especially kind to mothers and mothers need kindness. They do a lot of hard work. My wife is so kind, it rebukes me every day. I wake up in the morning and I say, man, I didn't know I'm living with a saint. And then I look at myself, I go, whoa. Work on me. Thank you, mothers, for being kind. Jesus loved mothers. So brotherly kindness was expressed. And brotherly doesn't just mean brotherly. It means the ultimate identification with every person here. Brotherly kindness. And that's why Ephesians chapter 2 says this. Look at Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, 
Oh, man, we should read. I mean, Ephesians, how can you just read a verse in Ephesians? you got to read the whole thing. <laughs> Ephesians is so powerful. Verse 1 of 2, And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. That's kind. In which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, who now works in the sons of disobedience. Now these people are free. They have the divine nature. Among whom also we once conducted ourselves in the lusts of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. But God, who is rich in mercy. Remember, where do we get kindness from? God is abundant. He has everlasting kindness. It's kindness for you while you're alive and dead. Notice, God who is rich in mercy because of his great love in which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses and sins, made us alive together with Christ. By grace have you been saved. Hello? I mean, you can't just read that but say, oh, yeah, okay. Now, here it is. And has raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in... Where's kindness? The ultimate expression is in this brotherly kindness of Christ Jesus. Can you say hallelujah, thank you, Jesus? It's a wonderful thing, isn't it? So... Kindness comes from God. Brotherly kindness is the fullest expression. It's Jesus. And because of that, he died on the cross. Now, was Jesus killed? How many of you say Jesus was killed? Okay, don't be afraid of me. How many of you say Jesus was killed? How many of you say that Jesus laid down his life? How many of you say both are true? you got to come to Weimar to understand the difference between these things. I'm not going to get into it right now, but he laid down his life is what I want to bring out today. He laid down his life in brotherly kindness. John chapter 10 says he laid down his life. You didn't take it from me. I laid it down. That's kindness. Greater love hath no man than this, that he would lay down his... But I'm getting out of myself because love comes after kindness. So excuse me. Did I say I was going to answer a question at some point? Hello? What did I say I was going to answer? Why brotherly kindness before love? Well, I think it's this. I've looked at the lofty heights of brotherly kindness, but just on a very basic level, if you can't be loving to your brethren, how are you going to ever love those who are your enemies? Because the next speaker will talk about love and the ultimate cardinal expression of love is love your enemies don't bother trying to love your enemies if you can't love your wife and you can't love your brethren do you understand why it comes first uh, you may not agree but i think that's why you see jesus was bound to the cross hosea chapter 11 verse 7 i drew them with gentle cords with bands of love and he was on that cross. He could have come down. He could have come down off that cross. He didn't even have to lay down his life. He could have rose up any time, but he didn't because he loved us. And Psalm 118, 27 says that they used to tie those sacrificial animals to the, to the horns of the altar. They would tie them there. And Jesus hung on the cross. The, the nails didn't hang him there. His love, 
His kindness held him there. I, I mean, that's a deep thought, really, I think. So in light of that kindness, what are we supposed to do? How are we to act? The book of Colossians, which is built for life's collisions, talks about it in the ultimate collision chapter, chapter 3, which talks about bitterness between husbands and wives and all manner of evil, uh, all kinds of things. And like all the epistles, he says, look, the way to overcome is by looking at Jesus And verse 1, he says, If you then were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Look on things above, not on things on earth. Whenever someone comes to me for marriage counseling and they're fighting with each other, you know what I have them do the first session? I have them memorize that text. They go, we can't even talk about our problems. I said, I know. That's your problem. So I want you to memorize this text. If you don't want to memorize it, there are other counselors. God bless you. They memorize it usually. I don't say it exactly that way. And uh, I labor a little bit. And then I say, look at that. And every time you're tempted to say something or think something bad about your husband or wife, just say the text. It'll help you remember it. And it also rebuke the devil for tempting you to think something negative again. So they'll come back, and usually that's all it takes. Because as they look to Christ, as they look to Christ, they start saying, wait a minute, what kind of person am I? And they're drawn, and it's like Revelation 14, verse 1, so Jesus on the top of the mountain, you remember? He's singing with the 144,000. Where did those 144,000 start from? The bottom of the mountain. They had mountains between them of difference. The 12 disciples, Sermon on the Mount, same kind of pericope, same kind of passage in Matthew chapter 5. They're meeting Jesus on the mountain. They all had differences too. But as they moved up the mountain towards Jesus, that mountain that was between them of unkindness and all those things kind of evaporated and mountains were moved with the mustard seed of faith, the faith of Jesus. Amen? So as you move forward, anyway, that's not what I was going to talk about. Uh, timekeepers are here. Watch out for the timekeepers. They will get you. In light of all this, chapter 3, verse 12, it says, Therefore, as elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering. In other words, that word put on means wrap yourself in. <laughs> I think, wrap around, and it should be wrapping from the inside out. This is not something that's external, but if the love of God is there, it's like that wrap comes right from the very middle. <laughs> you know, if you got a, 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 what am I trying to say? If you got a roll of saran wrap and it was only one wrap around the outside, you'd feel ripped off. But as you keep unwrapping it, it goes all the way to the middle. Can you say hallelujah? And that is what a kindness should be like, wrapped from the inside out. Put it on, but put it in. And God can put it in so it's not put on. I can't say that again. (laughs) So how do we do this? How do we do this? I don't know. Except for to ask Jesus to do it for us. Live lives for others. You know, how do you make a, f- a flower fragrant? 
Do you spray it with cologne? No. It must come from the inside out. Right? You know, I think you've got to get beat up once in a while to be kind. You ever seen a bully who stopped bullying once he got his comeuffins? I'm not suggesting you go give comeuffins to people. But, you know, there's a study of the Hebrew words in the Bible. It starts out with uh, ish. Is Mr. Ish here? Yeah, yeah I saw him the other day. Uh, ish and isha, those are the words. You know, ish means man, isha means woman, but literally in the Hebrew it means in your face, woman means that. <laughs> and it's supposed to be a mere reflection of your kindness. Uh, okay, don't get off on that. But there's other words in Hebrew for man. There's giborim. It's the, it's the mighty warrior who goes out and battles and comes back and says... I've slain 10,000 unclean meat eaters or whatever. And he comes back. And he comes back. He's the giborim, you know. But then there's the enos. It's the giborim who has been wounded in battle. And when someone is wounded for the cause of Christ, Peter's big message in 1 Peter 1 is that they become like Christ because they enter into his suffering. And they understand the kindness of Christ. If you are having surgery done, or if you are in the hospital, who do you want to have? Someone who has gone through the same procedure they're doing on you, or someone who has never done that? If you had to choose. You understand what I mean? People identify more with someone who's been through it. And, of course, Jesus has been through everything. So some of you are young people, and... You don't understand what I mean. But Jesus said to Peter, you're going to come to a time in life when you can't even put your garment on or off. And then you'll understand. You'll understand these things. So brotherly kindness, I could talk about lots of things, but one thing I want to say before I tell a couple stories to close. How much time do I have now? Oh, 15 minutes. All right, you're generous is that brotherly kindness is not some kind of manby-pamby indulgence either. Uh, Look at a text, Psalm 191, verse 5. Psalm 191, verse 5. And then I'll tell you a couple stories from my own life to illustrate this, because I I want to just testify of the great kindness of some people in my life. Oh, did I say 191? Yeah. Um, 141. Uh, next year we're going to be breaking down Psalm 150 through 91, so come back. Can you tell I was up uh, some of the night with my kids? Uh, one of my girls did a clothesline on me last night. She was looking for me and hit me right across the forehead. Okay, here it is. Psalm 141, verse 5. Let the righteous strike me, and it shall be kindness. Let him reprove me, 
and it shall be an excellent oil. Let my head not refuse it. Kindness sometimes is rebuke. So Proverbs says, turn at my rebuke and I will pour out my spirit. This is a parallel passage, and it's a kindness. Have you ever been approached by someone who the best thing they ever did to you was rebuke you? And later on you go back to them and say, that was the kindest thing you could have ever done. Right then, <laughs> Hebrews chapter 12 says, no, chastening seems really wonderful right then. Let me tell you a little story about that for me. I have been rebuked many times in life. And it, it may happen today, and I want to welcome it if it does. But when I grew up, I, you know, I was a minister's son, and that's somewhat challenging both for the minister and the son. And the devil attacks unsanctified minister's kids, and he especially tried to indwell me on Friday nights. I became a goblin. I became a demon on Friday nights. I was unsanctified, unholy, and I would work through, you know, the devil would work through me. I understand that now, and, man... And it was really just to get at my dad because he had to feed the saints in the morning. And, you know, the devil, the devil worked through anything. He'll even work through your dog. I mean, he'll work through animals. I could tell you stories about these things to illustrate it, but I don't have time. He, he just will try and work through things. Well, anyway, one of the things I would do would be go to camp meetings with my dad. And, and uh, I remember I, I was about junior age. What was that, 12, 13? And I just, I don't know. I think it was normal 1213, but with a twist of re rebelliousness that comes from the author of rebelliousness. And uh, I was in juniors doing something during the service, and this particular junior per uh, leader was not one that was into entertaining kids, which I think is a good junior leader. But he was serious about it, but either I had... ADD, elemental P, QRS, and XYZ, or something. I, I, I think that's usually oversold today. I was just wrong. I was unsanctified. And so he called me out. He says, you, row number six, sitting next to the person with the striped shirt. Yes, you. I'm looking around, trying to act like I didn't know. You. You need to zip the lip. And I was like, I don't like this guy. So I got up, and I ran out, ran towards the edge. And the, back then at Camp Meeting, they had, like, armed guards, you know. It's kind of like the people who are at Weimar if you don't have a parking permit. Anyway, so they, so they, came, they were going this way, and they were, they were coming toward me. One was this way, and one was that way. I leapt over my friends, and I came, and I saw this, 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 this little hole underneath the fence, and I dove under the fence. And I ran as far as I, as fast as I could to my cabin, and I hid. Now, what was wrong with this scenario? This guy was a minister, and my dad was a minister in the same conference. Who am I fooling? The guy knows who I am. So he comes directly to my cabin to talk to my dad and to find me. Now, this is interesting. I don't know if it has any theological significance. But our cabin number was 1844. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of funny when you think about it. It was 1836, but then we moved to 1844. How often is that going to happen? I, I mean, I have a love for 1844. And uh, 
we're in 1844, and I'm hiding. There were three bunks, and there was this place behind the bunks I'm hiding. And my dad saw me go in. He goes, hi, is your meeting out? And I said, yes, I'm out of the meeting. <laughs> and I'm hiding in there. Well, I'm not hiding. I'm just kind of hanging out. And then I heard a terrible thing. I heard Pastor Tony. That was his name. And he goes up. He goes, hi, Mac. How you doing? <laughs> Had some problems with your boy today. Needs to zip the lip. Uh, have you seen him? My dad says, oh, yes, I've seen him. He went right inside there. Why did my dad do that? This was the investigative judgment <laughs> truly carried out in 1844. And <laughs> so he walks inside there, and Tony picks me up. He picks me up by the nap of the neck, and he says, young man, zip the lip. Sets me down and leaves. And my dad goes, you could have done more, that, more than that to him. You want me to hold him? <laughs> what kind of a parent is that? That's a kind parent. What kind of a teacher was that? It's a kind teacher. And my dad escorted me back from 1844 to 1888. You know. <laughs> so I go back and... And I, but I was kind of, you know, I was rebuked. I was sitting here kind of like a flower that had faded because of lack of indulgence. And uh, so Tony recognized that, I think. And he, he wanted to wound, to heal. And so Tony, well, with the name Tony, and it's not going to surprise you, he loved to make pizza. And Tony went and made me a complete pizza. Two days later, camp meeting, wafting out of the rafters of 1844 was a pizza for Don. And he came to me, he hands me the pizza, he goes, I told you to zip the lip. Now I want you to unzip the lip. <laughs> uh, you know what I mean, to eat the pizza. And then he left. I think that was Kindness. It was rebuked to heal, yes? It got better because the next uh, day at camp meeting, or this camp meetings back then were like three weeks long. At the Michigan camp meeting, there were about 20,000 people. And Tony, would uh, he started to institute something. And I have a sneaking suspicion it had something even to do with me because I still was kind of, you know, I don't know. But uh, he instituted this... Uh, thing where he wanted to honor someone and honor is probably not a good word but he wanted to acknowledge someone that he believed that the lord was going to use in life in the junior class so he would go to the big adult tent and he would make these pronouncements and he was you know pronouncing on people that i mean these guys looked like they just walked out of heaven and they just were visiting and then it was like friday night and he was making this announcement, and he makes the announcement. He goes, and today we want to acknowledge that the Lord has a special hand on, we believe, Donnie McIntosh. I was like, I didn't even hear it because I was so far in the back. I was actually involved in a little bit of trouble at that time. <laughs> and uh, this actual announcement actually, I think, saved my life because the guy I was in trouble with was much bigger than me and 
And uh, they heard the announcement. They said, Mac, Mac, hey, he called your name. I said, what? Tony called your name. He's acknowledging you. I said, there's got to be some mistake. <laughs> and they go, yeah, it doesn't sound right, but let's listen. Donnie McIntosh. I was like, no, that's my name. They go, you better go, go. I was like, oh, no. I start walking down. My friends scattered throughout the audience with their parents are going, no, not him. I can see them going, no, we're, they're losing confidence in the leadership of camp meeting. You know, They're like, oh, no, the church is an apostasy. I'm going forward. I come up into the middle row, and there's my parents sitting there and my sister. My sister's going, no. My brother goes, can't be the one. But I go up front. And Tony hands me the reward, little piece of paper and a can of Vegelinks or something. You know what that was? That was kindness. That was calling things which are not as though they are. And that's a kind thing to do with kids and young people. I talked to Dr. Douglas the other day and he said, I'd much rather be known, be respected than loved. But I'd also want to be known for my kindness. Tony was kind. He rebuked, and yet he was kind. Another guy in my life. How much time do I have? Five minutes. One last story. Another guy in my life, probably the kindest person in my life. was my grandfather. Grandfather moved in with me when he was 86 years old. And I was 26. And I was anything but selfless. And he was anything but selfish. And I can still remember him getting there. And I said, Grandfather, why would you move out with us? He says, my, my wife has died, all my friends are dying, and I just think the Lord has me alive to be with you boys. Every morning he'd get up and fix me breakfast just like grandmother. He got everything for me, the bowl of oatmeal, the shredded wheat, and everything else, and I would come home, and there he was sitting there waiting for me to come home. I was getting home from work at the emergency room, and he was right there, and he goes, how was it last night? Tell me something about what happened last night. How were you able to show the love of Christ? And I was like, who is this guy? It's my grandma. He was kind, you know, but I was tired. And he was so kind. He goes, oh, you're tired now? That's okay. I have a warm blanket. I warmed it up for you for when you go to bed. This guy was kind. I go to sleep. He'd go get my clothes, take them down. He says, I threw those things in the laundry. You've got enough going on. And he would trudge up and down the stairs, even though he'd had back problems. Grandfather was kind, and I was unkind. I remember one time I, well, after, at that time I entered the seminary. Lots of unkind people entered the seminary. And lots of kind people do too. And I entered the seminary and, I'd come home, and I'd talk to Grandfather, and whenever he'd hear it, he'd say, What'd you learn today? What's happening? And he'd go, <laughs> I'd tell him, he'd go, 
Oh, that sounds interesting. Get me volume three of the testimonies. Read page 46. I'd read it. It's exactly the opposite of something I heard. He'd go, let's pray together. <laughs> He'd go to the ball games with me. I started to play ball. We called our team the Patriarchs in honor of him because he was a patriarch. He'd pray for us. I remember his prayers. Lord, be with these young people. Running up and down the floor with a ball, throwing it through a hole, there's something wrong with their heads. <laughs> they don't understand. This is crazy. They could hurt themselves. And what for what? <laughs> to win a game with people who are really not significant? Lord, bless them. Protect them. Please. When they're converted, strengthen them. And they will strengthen the brethren. Amen. And he would pray prayers like this at the, at the team. He didn't fall away from us. He would be there sitting in his lawn chair. And every time I'd go, he'd go, don't, 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 don't fall, Don. Don't fall. It wasn't like, make the shot, Don. He was go, okay, only 10 more minutes. Don't injure yourself. <laughs> That's the kind of stuff he, he was rebuking us with kindness. And, and all those people, all those people loved grandfather. They'd come over to the house just to have him rebuke them. They'd come over and, he, you know, he'd say, well, I'm dating this person. I'm dating that. Oh, really? <laughs> Let's pray. <laughs> Why are we praying? Oh, man. He'd read Ecclesiastes, don't awaken love before it's time to them, you know. He'd say, well, he that has an ear. And when you're dating, you usually don't have any ears, but let him hear what the Spirit says. Let's pray. And they would listen to him. Even though he was developing organic brain syndrome in some areas, he was slipping. The Lord still would use him. He'd point to this and he'd point to that, just sort of like your grandfather. I could tell you so many stories about his kindness, but maybe I'll just close with this one because it's how Jesus demonstrated his kindness. I remember one day I came home from the seminary and I'd been busy all week and I didn't want to go back there, but grandfather, he wanted to go to service at uh, the church that night, Pioneer Memorial. He says, I want to go. And I said, I'm not going. I don't want to go. I mean, I've been busy all week. Can't you see I've been busy? And grandfather, for one thing, you know, uh, humanity flashed through <laughs> his developing divinity. And he, uh, he looked at me. He was definitely ripening up. And he goes, now, wait a minute, young man. I've been here all week, and I really, I, I mean, we don't have to go, but I've got to tell you, bang, bang with the cane, I really do want to go. And I was like, I really do not want to go. And he says, I really do want to go. And I said, I really don't want to go. And then Luminitsa came in, my ex fiance She's my, my wife now. It's okay. It's a, just a little detail. And she comes in and she, she looks at the situation real quick. She goes, you know what? You really should go with your grandfather. I'm not going to tell you what to do, but that's what you should do. So she goes out. The, Don't you hate that? That was the rebuke of kindness. I was like, well, I could take 30 more years of that. So... I'm headed down 15 years into that. So anyway, praise God. So I get in the car. I get in his car, a little Ford Taurus, and I'm in the car with him, driving along, 
holding the steering wheel with both hands. Not because the roads are bad. And grandfather's looking at me, and I'm looking at, he looks over at me, and he just kind of, and then halfway there he goes, Don, we should go back home. You're tired. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have just made that. I said, look, I'm, I'm just so happy, and I don't want anything to come between us. And I was like, Ugh. We got to the church that night, and Pioneer Memorial is like two miles long. Go to the back door. You can't see the front. Now you can because of the cameras and stuff. But we go to the back, and it's a lo- not two miles, but, you know, it's long. And as, for, as soon as I go in there, I have a very, very bad feeling. Because guess what service they're having that night? They're having communion service. And I'm like, oh. I got it first because grandfather, you know, he didn't quite get it. And he had left the house without his hearing aids. So we're there and he has no hearing aids. And I say, and then he picks up and he goes, oh, it's the Lord's Supper. Loud. Doesn't have his hearing aids. And I said, yes, it is. What? It's the Lord's Supper. He goes, oh, Don, I'm sorry. I feel like Moses who struck the rock with my cane. And I was, I, I was, I was, that was not the right thing to do. I was like, it's really okay, grandfather. It's my bad. What? He says, would you please forgive me? Sure. What? This kept on. And he goes, I go, well, we should sit down. And he goes, I'm going to have to sit near the front. I can't hear anything. Oh, isn't the Lord good with his rebukes? So he sneaks up front, you know, when someone's older, they kind of look like they're sneaking around. So he's going, he goes up front and I'm with him. And, and, and as he gets closer, he so much wants to be like Jesus. All the, all the wrinkles on his face are smile wrinkles. But now they're crying wrinkles. And he says to me, Donnie, I just feel terrible. I'm too old for those kind of things to happen. I don't have much time. And I just want to know that things are right between us. It's okay, Grandfather. What? We get down to the second row. That's the, they're pretty empty up front. And we sit down in the second row right behind my senior pastor, the one I'm being mentored by. Sit down right behind him. And then he, did, he begins, grandfather goes again. He tells the whole story so the senior pastor hears it. <laughs> Donnie, it was wrong. And uh, when we go to the ordinance of humility, can I serve you? Said, sure, grandfather. What? And my senior pastor just turned around and he goes, glad you're here. We went down to the foot washing service. And as we were in that foot washing service in the basement of the church, I didn't realize it, but it was going to be the last time grandfather had communion. And we went down, and grandfather with feeble, trembling hands, almost like I would picture Peter when he penned this epistle, 
with feeble hands. He said, I only moved out here to be with you boys. And the only thing I wanted to be like is be like Jesus. And he washed my feet. And it was the first time I ever had someone weeping and mingling their tears with a foot washing. And he washed my tears. And I was so uncomfortable. I was so uncomfortable. And then I washed his feet. And then we went home. Grandfather died. At his funeral, all the people that were on the basketball team, all the people in the seminary came, and they shared testimonies of his kindness. And when I looked at the passage in John 13 the next time, something struck me. You know what it was? It was the words of Christ to Peter. You remember what he said to Peter? said, Peter, I want to wash your feet. And he said, I, I don't have need. He says, if I don't wash your feet, you won't have part with me in the kingdom. He said, wash me all over. And then what did, what was it that Jesus then said? You don't understand what I'm doing to you now. But later you will. The kindness of grandfather, living with that man who was 60 years older than me, I didn't understand it then. And I'm only beginning to understand it now. But God had sent someone that was like him, was like Jesus, learning to be like Jesus, to live with me. I wouldn't be here except for the kindness of of Jesus manifested in so many ways in the body of Christ. How many of you want to be involved in passing out the kindness of Jesus? Let's pray. Father in heaven, you're the God of all kindness, abundant, effusive, you're the God of brotherly kindness. You've asked us to put on kindness. Lord, send your spirit into our hearts. Make us kind. We can't be kind except by through your spirit. Give us such a picture of who you are that kindness will flow forth. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.